Hey, today's guest is author Kate Stevens, and she talks graduating early, her new book, Fulfilling Her Dreams, and much, much more. Coming live from the Fly Studio in Commerce Township, it's the Fulfilling Life's Yearnings Podcast! And I'm your host, Blake Giovanni Thomas Soule. And if you're ready to be your best by writing the script of your life to whatever you want it to be and taking action on your dreams, then this is the podcast for you. It's time to enter the fly zone. Hey, what's up? It's the fly host you love the most, and I'm back with another episode of Fulfilling Life's Yearnings. And I have another special guest for you today, and it is author Kate Stevens. And I'm excited to have Kate on, and she's going to be discussing how we can you know, graduate college earlier with less debt, and then and just talking about her personal journey of where she's gone and, and, and what value she can provide for us today. So, Kate, thank you for uh, coming on the show today, and how are you doing? Thank you so much. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I am awesome. Uh, even though it's cloudy in Michigan right now, I, I feel like we're going to have a, a lot of sunlight coming through on the show, so I'm excited for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> just just for starters, Kate, uh, can you, you know, tell us about yourself, you know, who you are, um, uh, where you're from, and, and what got you to uh, what you're doing now as an author? Yeah, so I actually live about about a half hour outside of Seattle, Washington, in Redmond, capital of Microsoft, <laughs> and I kind of came to write the book through a series of unfortunate events, I guess you'd say, but I was like most students when I was in high school. I didn't know how I was going to pay for college. I didn't have any money myself, and my parents were limited on their funds to provide me as well. And so I thought, okay, how am I going to, you know, pay this huge amount of tuition without amassing a large amount of debt? And I thought about maybe I could do grants, but I wasn't given any money from the government. And I thought maybe I'll do scholarships, but I didn't really receive many there either. And I thought, okay, I need a new plan. What can I come up with to help reduce my college costs? And I was sitting in the registrar's office at my college, and they were looking over a few transcripts I had given them. Because when I was in high school, I had done a few classes that had amassed some college credits. And they looked and said, you know what? You might be able to graduate up to a semester early. And I thought, that's it. It was kind of a light bulb <laughs> moment. Um, and it was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that. Um, but it wasn't just going to be a semester early. I decided I would graduate up to two years early wow. and that would help reduce my college costs by half. And through a series of different opportunities that I discovered by completing those, I was able to graduate at just age 20, um, with my BA from Northwest university in Kirkland. And I've been able to fulfill so many of my dreams since then because of graduating early and having no debt when I graduated. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, man, I, that's really cool to hear that, especially since you, you know, graduated college early and have been able to, you know, go on to do other things, um, you know, essentially fulfilling your life's yearnings and, mm -hmm. and, and getting to that, you know, uh, you, you wrote the book. Um, 
uh, 24, what are the 24 practical ways to, you know, to save money and, and get your degree faster. How did, how did that come about for you? Um, especially since you said, you know, you finished out school early. Uh, was this something that you started working on right away or, or what did that look like for you? So I actually graduated and I started a job. I got my degree in business and mm-hmm. I started a job as an event coordinator at a chamber of commerce, a local one. And it was great, but I felt like it wasn't quite what I was supposed to do. And so in the meantime, I thought, okay, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to get a master's degree in occupational therapy. Okay. But all the while people started to ask me, hey, this is strange. You graduated so early. How did you do that? I want to know how to do that. Mm -hmm. And I continually got that question over and over until finally I thought, okay, I'm just going to slowly start to kind of come up with ideas and start to create a book about how to do that. It took me much longer than going to college. It took me about seven years total to write this book, but I, um, it was a slow process, but I kind of was like, first I just started to come up with the ideas and kind of create chapters, but it was, you know, the structure wasn't great, but then I was able to secure an agent um, for publishing, and she sold my book to a publisher um, outside of Chicago, and they kind of specialize in college aid type books. And then that I wrote the book for another year um, because nonfiction you write it almost after, and I needed to do a lot of changes. Okay. And then I edited the book with my publisher for about a year, and then back in July of 2015, um, my book, which is called College Quicker: 24 Practical Ways to Save Money and Get Your Degree Faster, was released on store shelves and um, in libraries nationwide. Wow, I, I love hearing that. Just just talking about how you were able to start fulfilling that passion and and. Switching topics now to, you know, focus more about the book. You said, you know, coming up, you wanted a way to be able to save money uh, and be able to, at that time, one semester earlier, which turned out to be two. Can you just talk about what what does it look like uh, for for a student who wants to be able to, you know, graduate college early as well? Can you take us through that process and, and, and when this is the best time for us to, you know, take advantage of those opportunities? Yeah. So in my book, um, I give 24 different strategies, which is why it's 24 practical ways. And a student can kind of pick and choose out of those what works best for them and where they are in their educational journey. Of course, the earlier, the better is always best. So if you're a middle or high school student, you're at an advantage. But it doesn't mean if you're in college or even an adult learner that you don't you aren't able to capitalize in some of these opportunities. But the first thing I would suggest is that if a student is kind of already picked out a college or at least in college, that they go to their university and ask about something called a college credit policy or a transfer credit policy. Okay. It kind of depends on where you go. But what that policy really shows is how many credits a school, their school, will accept from an outside source. And that outside source might be another college or it might be a non-traditional activity, such as an exam for credit, like a CLEP exam or a DSST exam, or it might be something like a prior learning portfolio. So there are other ways to earn college credits that not many students know about. 
outside of the traditional college classroom. And so if your school has a generous policy, so they maybe accept a year or two of, of college credit from another college and a year or two of credit from a non-traditional source, that's the best because you can capitalize on these opportunities and maybe even graduate like me two years early. Now, that's incredible um, when you talk about that, that uh, transfer credit policy because that, yeah, I haven't even heard of that before too. So thanks mm -hmm. for sharing that. And as an, as an early graduate, you know, since you're getting everything done in a shorter time frame, uh, what, what were the things that, that worked well for you as far as, you know, not having to, you know, be in, in all the lecture classes and just being able to, you know, get a lot of your credits taken care of? I loved the experience of graduating early. I think a lot of people assume that I would have missed out on kind of the college life or the college experience. I did everything. I was mm -hmm. in the dorms. I, you know, hung out with friends. I went to all the events, the sports games. But by doing that, I actually, it was ironic. Um, many of my friends who were kind of cramming in as many classes as they could, I had more free time than even they did because oh, wow. the first year of college, I only took... So I could take up to 17 credits and I only took 14 both mm -hmm. semesters my first year. So I didn't even have to take a full load. Um, I was able to do a lot of exams that all I did is took one exam and I got the credits for it. And I was able to kind of do those slowly but surely my first year and really have free time to do a lot of things that not many college students are doing because they're stuck in classes and stuck taking, you know, doing homework and taking the exams for those. Right. So that's interesting. So when, when you say ex exams, uh, were, were these for courses that uh, were kind of self-taught that you did yourself or, or just uh, things that you could just pick up a book on and say, okay, now I got it. Now I'm ready to take this uh, exam. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. So mm -hmm. the one that I really recommend students look into is called CLEP, okay. C-L-E-P, and it's actually offered by the College Board, and a lot of students probably know that name because it's the people who do the SATs and the PSATs and the APs, mm -hmm. but CLEP exams, they're great. All you have to do, you show up to a testing center, which there's probably at least one, you know, within 10 to 20 miles of your house. You take an exam on a computer. And it only takes about 90 minutes, typically. It might be a little longer if you have to do an essay. And by the time you're done, you might you might have actually earned between three and 12 credits just for that one exam and just that one session. And it's on a variety of different um, subjects. You can maybe take history or math or science. And all it costs is $80 for one exam plus a small administration fee of typically between 10 to 20 bucks. But what's great about it is you, if you know, if you know a lot about history, you took history in high school mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe you've studied history on your own, watched a lot of documentaries, you can just take the history exam. Or what I did, too, is there's a company called REA, and they offer books specifically designed for the CLEP exams. And so they have all the information you need as well as practice exams so that you can kind of get a feel of how the test goes, how much time you have, and kind of get an approximate score. So I actually earned 30 credits, which is a whole year of school, just wow. by taking CLEP exams. Yeah, they're great. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So uh, when you're taking these exams, and, and the question that's coming to my mind is, do, as a student, you know, do you still feel uh, 
that you either learned more or that you had a a better chance of actually uh, applying the information? Because I know from you know uh, going to school, we typically will sit in the lecture and and uh, day after day, and then have all of this information that we're having to compile, um, and then they're supposed to do something with it for for whether it's an exam or an essay. Um, in, in your thoughts, is this a better way to, to do it as opposed to the traditional way? I, I do believe so. And I kind of tell students this. I don't I wouldn't suggest one would clep out of an exam in their major. So if someone was going to school to be, for example, me in business, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say take a business clep exam because you, of course, are going to school to learn and you want to be prepared for the job market once you're done. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, college a lot of classes you don't need. You already did learn them in high school. You already did understand them. And sometimes there's a class you really, really don't want to take. Maybe you're not that proficient in math. And to be honest, you don't need math. You're an art major, you know, Um, but it's a requirement just because of general electives. It's a great way to get those classes out of the way, but you're not spending all of your time and energy and resources on them. You're really spending your time and energy on the classes and on the opportunities, the internships, the volunteer experiences, all related to your major. So you're even more prepared once you're done. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. So what you're saying is uh, best if you're doing it to get rid of uh, the the other required courses that you need to graduate uh, through CLEP and then being able to have that time that you gain back to be able to focus on on different opportunities for your major. Yes, perfect. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. And can you just touch on, you know, what as a high school student, even just going back to there, what would be an, an example of um, another fast track opportunity that they can take care of even before they go to college? Yeah. So I know a lot of students know about AP, Advanced Placement, and IP, International Baccalaureate, but so not as many know about dual enrollment or as it's less commonly referred to as dual credit. So in dual enrollment, a student takes one course but earns both high school and college credit for it. And in certain areas, like in the state of Washington, tuition is completely free and sometimes even books. So that means by the time a student graduates from 12th grade, he or she not only has a high school diploma, but a handful of college credits or even an associate's degree as well. And so sometimes even all without spending a dime. Mm, Wow. That's really cool. So what what would be like a, gosh, another way for, um, I guess, high school and college students that would uh, be best if they're more, you know, hands on, they need that, that something that they can apply by looking at it and being visual. What, what would you suggest for that as well? Yeah, so I did a program when I was in college called Intercession Abroad, and I... I love study abroad. I love the opportunity of going to another place and seeing another culture, experiencing something different than you're used to. But a lot of students, that's not really in the budget. And that also can set a student back on graduation because you're not necessarily taking the credits you need Mm -hmm. um, at another school far away. But with intercession abroad and something called alternative spring break, you go to another place during typically like a spring break or a summer break or maybe even a January term. And you spend, you know, between a week or three weeks and you take kind of an intensive course or two and you get to experience these other cultures. But at the same time, you're earning credits 
at a much cheaper um, cost than a typical study abroad program. And you're also graduating early because you're kind of getting this done while you're on break and while other students are kind of on their downtime. Mm-hmm. You're getting to accelerate your graduation and at the same time kind of a- accomplish some of the things or achieve some of the things you want to do as far as seeing the world and experiencing other places. Wow, that's, that's really cool. So where did you uh, end up going when you did yours? Yeah, I went on a 10-day trip or intercession abroad program through my school to UK, mm-hmm. France, and Belgium. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. And I still wish I could go back. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm hoping one of these days. <laughs> no, that's really cool. So thank you for sharing that. And and as a, as you were writing the book, and I want to switch a little bit back to that, uh, what what was it that that made these steps that you were coming up with, you know, practical? Can you give some insights on to, you know, which ones have been successful um, uh, for the people that have uh, used the book as well? Yeah, I think that as as I was kind of talking about, CLEP is the big one, as mm-hmm. well as um, there's another exam for credit called DSST. It's kind of similar. Um, you go to a testing center. Um, it's just offered through a different company, Prometric. Those are really successful. Students tend to quickly get through classes and they love how cheap and um, fast they are. But I, I feel like they're, it's just really dependent on a student. Um, the reason I kind of wrote the book, too, is because I had earned credits through multiple different different opportunities, or as okay. I call in the book, okay. fast track opportunities. Um, I did dual enrollment. I did something called a pre-college summer program. So I got credits um, during the summer before high school, I did CLEP. I did intercession abroad. I um, I did distance learning. You know, I mean, there's so many things that it kind of was. I say a conglomeration. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny what I what's awesome about the book is I've noticed students will say, "Oh, well, based on my life or based on my schedule, I've done these things," or you know, based on where I am in my credits or what my major is, I've done these. And so it really is kind of to each his own mm. um, and where what works best for the student at work what works best for their life that's awesome so thank you for sharing that one that that makes a lot of sense to me as well because I've even done distance learning I, I did my well I went to hope for four years and then mm-hmm. and then from there I said you know what I want to try you know a, a different way of learning so I did yeah. distance learning to get my master's program which which for me that was in a way, a lifesaver because I was just able to not have to worry about going to class and, yes. and it just worked out around my schedule. And, yes. and kind of segueing into that, uh, I know we talked about uh, starting earlier is better. And, and then even in college, you still have that opportunity to, uh, you know, graduate college earlier. What does this look like for those of us that have been out of uh, education for a while and we're looking at um, getting back into school. Those students are actually, strangely enough, at a great advantage. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband actually went back to school and he's kind of finishing up his degree. He's about a semester away. And when he went into school, it was so great because a lot of programs, you can use all that learning that you've gained throughout your work and your volunteer and your military experiences and your travel and use those to earn credits. Mm. So besides kind of doing the, as I said, the credit exams, there's other great ways that specifically, sorry, um, adult learners can take advantage of. And one of them I love is called a prior learning portfolio. So what a student does 
is they document in a you know written portfolio kind of an overview of their life and then also an overview of their experiences and what college level learning they've gained through those experiences. So say for instance, someone worked as an accountant, you know, they probably, even if they've never gone to college, they've probably at this point learned college level math Mm -hmm. or, you know, maybe college level accounting or finance. And so they can document, you know, what they've done in their job, how they've learned that. And then they submit that portfolio to their school and potentially earn credit for it. Most of the time, these portfolios earn between about 15 to 18 credits. So it's about a half a semester of school. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. And now I want to ask you some, you know, a question about, you know, student debt, since that is the reason why someone would want to graduate college earlier so they can get, you know, started on saving more money and, and beginning their careers earlier. What are your thoughts on, you know, why uh, the student debt is ballooning the way it is? So right now, I've heard that its student debt is over $1.1 trillion, which is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's even surpassed credit card debt and auto loans. And I attribute that to two causes. So first and foremost, pretty obvious, the staggering cost of college. According to College Board, average tuition, room, and board at a private university costs more than 40000 a year. So for a four-year degree, many students will spend 160000 over that at least. And then I'd say secondly is the limited amount of financial aid. So Sally May says that scholarships typically cover only around 16% and grants about 14%. So you're looking at students having to pay about 70% out of their own pockets, which, you know, I mean, most of the time that means resorting to student loans. Mm -hmm. So for you as a student, when you you were, um, you know, uh, looking at the conglomerate of different ways that you were able to get credits were you also you know working too so that you could get money in to pay for your student loans would it or or you had no student loans but in order to pay for for college yeah I did I worked the first year as a nanny just at, um at you know just a local nanny um mm-hmm. caring for kids but then the second year I actually I got a half ride Kind of, it was it was a scholarship at a work program almost through my school. Um, I became the yearbook editor, and I got a half ride for that. And so I did that as a job my second year. So both years, yep, I worked, and that was kind of the amount that wasn't covered mm-hmm. by the few scholarships I had. And then by cutting the cost, I was able to use that to pay for the rest of tuition. Okay, so that definitely made it made it more affordable for you. And and how much money did you end up saving by graduating early? Around, I'd say over sixty thousand wow. um, dollars. Yeah, it was it was such a blessing. I know that if I hadn't have done that, I definitely would have had to take out loans and probably at this point still be paying them um, because I'm only 28. So I know it's about usually a 10 year. Mm-hmm. And and because of that, I was able to go to my master's program and start there without debt. And as you probably know, master's degrees, typically you have to pay out of pocket. Um, mm-hmm. And so it was nice because I, I went in and I had savings for my other jobs. And so I was able to pay that off without um, without having a huge amount of debt for my undergrad. That's really cool. So, how how did you end up doing your master's program? Was it were you still applying uh, applying some of these same strategies that you used in undergrad? 
I wish. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, as a graduate student, mm -hmm. they are pretty picky about the classes you take as well as um, there just aren't very many opportunities scholarship wise. It is kind of a loans or, or bust. Um, but I went to a less expensive program. I went to University of Washington mm -hmm. um, and that really helped to subsidize most of the cost just because it's a public school. But besides that, I had saved quite a bit from um, working beforehand. And then because I graduated so early, I even started my master's program, I think when I was 21 or 22, wow. but I had already been out of school for a while. So I was able to use that money that I had saved to apply it toward graduate school. That's awesome. So you said you went to, uh, you said Washington state, uh, university of Washington, university of Washington. So in your thoughts and your thought processes, is it, does it make sense necessarily to, uh, obviously you want to make sure that the school is accredited for what you're going to, but is, is yes. in, in your thoughts, is there really a difference between uh, a school that has a bigger name or, or is it more important to focus on, you know, I know what I need to get done when I go to uh, college for either undergrad or for graduate school and just go to the program that's more affordable? That's a great question. And I think a lot of students have a misperception about that because many believe, well, if I go to a bigger name school, it'll, you know, be a better experience or I'll, you know, have a great job. And of course, if one decides to go to Harvard or, you know, Yale, um, there are more opportunities. But at the same time, most schools are pretty are pretty much the same as long as, yeah, as long as you're going to an accredited school. Um, most employers aren't really looking at what school you went to or necessarily even what major you has, have as long as you have that degree. And even nowadays, as a master's degree or even a PhD become more and more important, they're really looking at that. Do you have even higher education than just mm. your BA? And what is that necessarily in? So when I got my degree in business, I thought to myself, oh, no, I'm applying to a school that is a science major. I'm doing occupational therapy. This could be a negative. Mm -hmm. But ironically, I went and the um, the head of admission said, you know what, this is a good thing because you have this business mindset in a healthcare field. And it wasn't just like, okay, you have psychology or a science background. It was like, we need more diversity. We need more people who have different perspectives. And I think that is important. So my other thing I even talk about in the book is really, if you have a major and you've chosen it and you've started down that road, just stick with it. Okay. Because it's not worth losing all those credits and restarting. Um, because most of the time, yeah, it just won't matter at the end of the day. That's interesting. So yeah, yeah, I don't think many people do know that. So for, for you and, and your position as as someone who did business and then ended up switching over to a, a, a science background uh, mm -hmm. for for your master's program was what was that like for you? And and just to give us some insight, as you kind of mentioned uh, just a moment ago, that they were looking for people from diverse backgrounds. Has has that been a, a benefit for you and and being or when you were in the program? Yes. And I think it's actually been a benefit for me in everything. Um, I'm actually kind of happy I stuck. I Between my junior and senior in college, I did have that moment of weakness where I thought I should switch my major. Um, and I thought, you know what? It's not worth this. I'm mm -hmm. just going to stick with it. And I'm really glad I didn't. I think you can apply business to almost anything. Right. And at the same time, yeah, it's given me a perspective in a lot of different fields. Even writing this book, you know, there's a kind of there's a lot of business 
associated with it. And I'm, I'm, you know, kind of doing the whole self-employed thing with that. Mm -hmm. And so you're having to manage your taxes and you're having to manage your license and, you know, and, and I think that's important, um, in not in whatever job you have. And so I'm actually really glad that I stuck with it. I think in my program specifically, um, it did help me to, I think the problem with healthcare especially is there's kind of just like in college tuition, it's ballooning. Mm -hmm. And um, it's hard for someone, especially in healthcare, they usually have a compassionate, um, they want to help people. And that's great. And that's actually why people get into the field. But unfortunately, you know, a lot of it too is how do we make sure that costs are covered? And how do we make sure that, you know, insurance company pays? And, and, you know, understanding that the back part of it, because without it, you're not getting paid, your client Mm -hmm. isn't going to get the services they need. So it is important to have that perspective. No, that, that, that is really interesting that you shared that. So for you, because now, now currently, are you an occupational therapist or do you still have more schooling to go for? And, you know, no, actually, it's funny. Um, Yeah, I, I've been taking, I've been focusing on the book right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm even, it's ironic too, I kind of get things going. Um, I got, I have a, um, a genetic disorder that affects my joints. So I had to take time off from doing occupational therapy. But okay. So that's kind of how the book really got ramped up too. Mm, but I've been mm-hmm. also, I've been writing a screenplay. So I, I'm oh, kind awesome. of, you know, <laughs> I write different things and stuff comes and then I'm like, okay. And that's, what's great too about this book. Um, me doing me kind of applying the strategies and graduating early is that I've been able to kind of pursue dreams. I never even knew were possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did that because I wasn't, you know, um, I wasn't totally, submerged with debt and feeling like I couldn't get out. Um, I was able to just choose things because I'm like, Oh, I want to do this. Not because I need a paycheck. I have to do this immediately. Right. So, right. That, that is awesome to have that, that, that flexibility there. And, mm-hmm. and there was something interesting there that you did said too, that especially since you did business and when someone thinks of, well, how does a business person lead into, you know, writing, writing a book or, mm-hmm. or being able to uh, explore these these different avenues that that come up just from uh, from having that freedom to explore different opportunities. Can you you know just talk about that from from your standpoint as someone who is you know working on uh, continuing to be self employed and and what it looks like for you to to find the the confidence or to overcome the the setbacks or or the fears to to keep pressing forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that graduating early and achieving this huge goal in my life really did set me up to feel like I could do a lot of things and I could push through. Mm-hmm. I've had some pretty big health setbacks in my life because of my disorder. And um, there's moments where I've thought, okay, nope, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. You know, the odds are against me. And and it was kind of funny, even before I wrote the book, my doctor um, said, you really shouldn't do this. And I'm like, you know what? I'm doing this. I'm going to do this. And, um, and I did. And I think it's because of having that mindset from school. I don't think anyone, when I had started school would have said, yeah, that's a good idea. Or, oh, that's going to happen. They'd probably say, oh, I don't know, you know, give it, you can give it a shot, but it's probably not going to work out. Mm -hmm. And I kind of put my mind to it immediately when I started school and found out I could potentially graduate early, I thought, okay, I'm going to graduate in two years. (laughs) This is going to happen. And, and from here and out, it's given me that, you know what, I accomplished this. And then what's funny about writing the book, it was even another thing. Um, the odds of writing a book and getting it published through a traditional publisher are very, very slim. Mm -hmm. And 
I was able to do that. And I thought, okay, there's another thing. And so it's kind of given me that perspective of, well, if it doesn't work out, that's okay. But anything is possible. Absolutely. I, I love hearing that, especially just now uh, hearing the excitement in your <laughs> voice. And, and I could tell that you're very passionate uh, about about what you're doing. So what uh, what what's next for you? You know, you have you have the book. What what other barriers are you trying to or uh, looking to go after and break down? Yeah, I mean, as I said, I, I started writing, which is funny. It kind of just came to me, but mm-hmm. I started to write a screenplay, <laughs> which I realized was even a lot harder than the book um, because of the rules about how to write screenplays. But I feel like it's just kind of another thing on my um my path. But I know there will be so many others. I think what's what used to be kind of my life too is I I was more of a okay I have a five year plan and a ten year plan and a fifteen year plan and a twenty year plan mm-hmm. and I think once I graduated college what was great is I realized you know what I don't need a twenty year plan I don't even need a five year plan okay because something awesome will happen and or something I you know something will come to me I will come up with something something will happen where as soon as something is kind of winding down something else will ramp up and mm. so I don't need to fear the unknown, I can embrace it. Wow, so you just really take in where you're at and, and, and just allow that flexibility for for new things to pop up as, as you're uh, continuing along this journey. Yeah, I know that if I hadn't have, if I had kind of stuck to, okay, this is going to be my life, mm-hmm. this will be what I do, I don't think that I would have... I I know that I never would have written this book because it wasn't in my plan. A lot of people ask me, oh, well, did you always want to be a writer? And the truth is, no, I never thought about writing. Wow. But if I had closed myself to the possibility of writing and said, okay, well, my degree was in business or, you know, I did this or or whatever, you know, if I kind of shut myself off to these things, then none of that would have happened. And so I think it's good to just keep your mind open to, you know what? Like life is going to throw you some serious curveballs, but mm-hmm. that's okay, and that'll maybe lead you to something else even greater. That's incredible, and and I'm just curious now, as an author, first time author, what what adventures have uh, you know come about from from doing the book? Is it something that you're just you know doing locally, or have you been traveling around the country and and getting the word out? that there's these these awesome ways that you can, you know, graduate college earlier and and debt free. Yeah, I mean, I've mainly stayed local as far as um doing interviews, but what's great is I've been able to interview. I've interviewed on so many podcasts and okay. radio stations. Um I can't even count how many at this <laughs> point now. Um <laughs> um yeah, it's been quite a while that I've been doing it since July, but I have about two or three at least a week. So I've I've gone to talk to so many different people about the book. I've been on TV about the book. I've been in newspapers about the book. Um, so it's definitely been something I never had dreamed. You know, seeing your name in print, seeing your name or seeing yourself <laughs> on TV is quite a, um, a scary but exhilarating experience. Um, and, and yeah, I know that if I hadn't have written the book, I obviously never would have been able to promote it the way that I have. Absolutely. And, and was that something that took an adjustment for because I have a uh, when guests come on and they'll say you know from going on to different shows and and continuing to you know talk about what I'm passionate about it just helps me so much uh 
with my story is what is what the other guests that I have come on the show will say, and it just helps them understand themselves better. Uh, do you have that same takeaway that, that having these different opportunities to be on TV and in print and, and doing these uh, different interviews, was it something that at first you were maybe more reluctant to do and you kind of got you know more excited about it as time went on or what did that look like for you? Yes, I would definitely agree with every, all of your other guests. I, my first, ironically, my first interview was on TV, which I oh, wish wow. that hadn't <laughs> happened. Um, because I was so nervous. Um, I, I grew up doing theater and I thought okay. it would be, I thought I'd be like, Oh, I'm fine as a public speaker, but it's a lot different having memorized lines versus having to kind of speak off the cuff. Um, mm. And I went on the interview and I was just shaking and I was, you know, blushing. And um, but as it's gone on, I, you know, I've really gotten comfortable to what the questions are That's cool. typically, you know, how I answer them. And and um, I've gotten hit with every type of question <laughs> as far as college goes known to me. And some I have to say I haven't been able to answer because they've been not quite what my book is on topic. Mm-hmm. But um, but, you know, it's been great because I've really gotten a chance to, yeah, kind of hone those skills. And so as far as being on the radio and talking with people, I don't get scared anymore. And Mm. I don't um, kind of have that shaking feeling that I had for the first couple. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fun. And I, and I can even hear it in your voice today that, you know, that you're having a good time. And I, and I love that you were able to come on and, and, and share with me, um, you know, about the book and, and your personal journey and just the things that you've been able to accomplish. Uh, as far as uh, the listeners uh, go, what what can they do to get their hands, you know, on your book? So College Quicker is available through all the major retailers. You can head to a local Barnes and Noble and pick up a copy, or you can go online, the normal places, Amazon, Barnes, Walmart, Target. Um, and, or, you know, if you just want information and you're not sure, head to my website, which is collegequicker.net, or you can like my Facebook page or even follow um, the book on Twitter at college underscore quicker. Awesome. So I, I will be sharing all of those in, in today's show notes. And as you were saying that, another question just you know popped up in my yeah. in my head. Uh, kind of switching subjects a little bit. As as an author, and you mentioned earlier how you were able to get you know a traditional uh, book publisher. What what was that process like? Because I know some you know as a someone who might want to write a book uh, down the road, or for anyone listening in, you know, what did you have to do to get get that uh, into motion and for someone to, you know, pick up your book? Yes. Um, so the first thing, first and foremost, um, is have a great, and I mean great mm-hmm. topic that no one else in the entire world has ever thought of or done. <laughs> and I know that's incredibly difficult, but unfortunately with publishing the way it is these days, that's kind of the reality of it. Mm-hmm. But if you have a great topic, um, and you want to be in fiction, then write a query letter, which is just a one-page kind of synopsis of your book. If you're nonfiction, which was what I did, you need to start to build your platform, which is you go about and you, you know, get interviews like these, talk about your topic to people, Mm -hmm. maybe have conferences or, you know, go on TV or get in print something because publishers really want to see that you have a base already set in that you can sell your book to. Um, But then once you're done with that as a nonfiction writer, you write a proposal, which is I think mine was about 30 pages. You talk about, 
you don't write the book yet. And that's mm-hmm. the one thing with nonfiction. You don't have to write the book, although it's a good idea to kind of have um, a rough idea okay. of what you want to say. But you write about what the market is like. Who would buy this book? Um, what are your competitors? What other books are there that might possibly, you know, people might possibly buy instead of yours? Mm-hmm. And kind of a brief synopsis of your book as well. So then you send that to agents and kind of send it out to as many agents as you can who are in your specific field. And that's very important. Don't send it out to someone who only does kids books. If you're writing a book about, you know, mystery. Um, Once, if an agent is interested, they'll let you know. And then um, potentially they'll sign you. They might ask you more questions or might ask you for, um, if you're a fiction writer, they'll probably ask for your whole manuscript or at least a huge chunk of it. Okay. And then um, if they sign you, that's, the biggest, greatest first step. So agents always take 15% off the top, but it's well worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people can just directly go to publishers, but it's a lot tougher. Um, So then agents, they'll sell your book. You don't have to do any work at that point. Mm. Um, They will go to the publishers who really specialize in your specific type of book and they'll sell it. Um, For my book, College Aid is very, it's a small market as far as who buys the book um, publishers wise. And so um, I knew exactly who she would sell it to. And, um, and you know, I the book, the publisher that I really wanted, they were the ones who picked it up. And I thought, great, that's exactly what I want. So, but it can take years for that to even happen. Because especially for more fiction type books where a lot of people can potentially publish, mm-hmm. you might get a lot of rejections and accept that. Um, but don't give up. And then um, once, yeah, then a publisher will sign on. They'll give you a contract Um of, you know, the rates differ as far as how much royalty you'll get, but it's pretty standard. So just look up on the internet to make sure you're not getting totally ripped off. Right. Um, and then you sign the contract with them. It's several pages, maybe have your agent or a lawyer look over it. And then once you sign it, you will be assigned an editor. Um, and you'll kind of start working with them. They'll make some significant changes in your book. My book looked nothing like (laughs) when I first started, um, I sent over, I had time to write it and then I sent it over to my agent and she said, okay, we're doing a lot of changes and she made it (laughs) significantly better. So trust that they know what they're doing. Okay. That that's incredible. That is awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, from there you just edit and edit and edit and you were probably, I think I edited six or seven edits minimally. Um, she would look over it and send it back or copy editor would look over it. Um, so you'll get exhausted reading your own book and you'll never (laughs) want to read it ever again, but it's worth it because someone else will notice the little stuff. (laughs) That that's incredible. And you said that that was a a seven year process for you. Yeah. I started writing the book when I, you know, really slowly. I started writing the book when I was about 21. I got my agent, in 2011, though. So I, I was really slow because I was kind of I was in school and doing um, other stuff. I wasn't focusing on it much. But yeah, I sold or I got my agent in 2011. And then I sold my book. I think it was 2013 because my agent um, actually one of my agents left the company. And so there was a bit of a hiatus there. Okay. Expect that too. people leave <laughs> mm-hmm. the publishing industry. I had two editors leave at my company alone, like at my publisher, mm-hmm. you will have people leave and just expect that there's a lot of turnover. Um, so just be okay with it and be comfortable that, um, that you'll get someone new and they'll be great. And, um, that it'll work out, but it's a little bit scary when they're going through an upheaval. But <laughs> oh, definitely, but but well worth it though. And there was something that you mentioned too when you talked about you know getting out there and 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 building your platform was mm-hmm. 
in your experience, or or uh, maybe you can say a little bit about the process. Was it difficult uh, for you as a, I guess, a newcomer um, onto the scene when you were originally building up your platform to get onto radio or or to get onto TV and to be able to uh, uh, spread your message? Yeah, it was very difficult. Um, I think it depends on what what you're really talking about too. Mm -hmm. I think that one of the things, um, when I even approached, I talked to someone in my publishing or my publisher and I said, I don't have a really great platform. What do I do? Mm -hmm. And they said, well, for this specific market, it's a little different because college usually, you know, you do have to write a book. It's, it's some, it feels somewhat of a catch 22. Like I can't get exposure unless I have a book, but I Mm. need exposure to get a book. Um, but you just need to keep knocking on doors. And the thing is, just start small. Like, you know, you're not looking at doing being on the Today Show. And mm-hmm. that will never even happen, possibly even if you have a book, you know. Um, just go to your local newspaper um, and say, hey, I know a lot about this topic. Or do a presentation at the library and ask the librarian, you know, hey, can I do a talk about this for free? Mm-hmm. And, um you know, and a lot of people are a lot more willing than you think. You just, you know, for me, it was like talking to schools um, and kind of talking to students. And I think that, you know, you need to kind of think outside the box. Like, okay. oh, well, there's the traditional radio or TV. But maybe for your type of book, you need to talk to smaller groups of business people or, you know, that kind of thing. If you're in fiction, though, don't really worry about your platform. It's not that big of a deal. But mm. for nonfiction, it's very important. So. Okay, awesome. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. So th- so thank you for sharing that. And it's been awesome having you on. Uh, oh, yeah. Thank you. And I do have two final questions. Uh, the first one being, you know, uh, call to action, uh, I guess more in a general sense, uh, as someone that was in, you know, in your position who, who's been able to go out and, and, and make things happen, you know, with the book and being able to graduate college early, what what would be your call to action for for myself or even the listeners to uh, as we move forward and continue to hopefully fulfill life's yearnings? In as far as college or just as far as life? Oh, I'm sorry, as far as uh, as far as life. Oh, okay. I think that kind of what I was saying, maybe you know, probably ten minutes ago, but. Mm-hmm. I believe that you should just have the mindset of a failure is the best thing ever and it will be horrible, but it will be your greatest gift. Mm -hmm. And once you fail, you will open yourself up to anything. I'll never forget. um, I was in, I, I used to be quite a perfectionist and I was in high school and I came into Spanish class and I just taken my driver's exam. And my Spanish teacher came up to me and said, how did the driver's test go? And Mm -hmm. I said, I failed. And she actually clapped and was excited and said, oh, I'm so glad you finally failed at something. You needed this. Oh, wow. And I, wow. it took me back of like, wait, what? what? <laughs> but I know that's not what you want. But the truth is, is that in, you know, throughout this whole journey, it's not like the book was immediate. It's not like, you know, as you kind of, as I kind of said, it took seven years. There were people who rejected it. There were things that didn't go right. Um, I even had, when I was at a writer's conference, I had a... Um, an agent come, I talked to an agent about my book and he said, no one will ever want this book. It's a horrible idea. Don't do it. Like you should not definitely not do this. And I got in the car and I cried mm-hmm. 
And I realized, you know what, that's one person's opinion and I need to move on. And I did. And the truth is, is that if you keep failing, you'll get to a great place. And even if that thing never works out, even if I never published the book, I was actually at a good place where I had accepted it. Mm -hmm. And I was able to use those experiences because everything you do in life, you can use as something else and it will open you to something else. And so I, I think that's the most important key. And I know that people know this. But um, but really being able to absorb that and yes. actually being okay with it is a whole nother story. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, the call to action for you as an author and for us listening in is to to get Kate's book and and <laughs> and, and use that as a resource, you know, whether uh, you're listening in and, you know, still in high school or you're in college right now or you've been out of school for a while uh, you know, use her book as a resource and, and check out the links that she gave earlier. Again, those will be in today's show notes, so you can check those out. And then, Kate, the final question I have for you today uh, is, what is your definition of fulfilling life's yearnings? Oh, these are great questions. Like, um, honestly, doing what I'm doing now, um, just going, following after your dreams and even if, you know, as they said, even if you fail realizing that there's something awesome that you've learned from them, I, I mean, I'm getting the opportunity to talk to you today just because I did that very thing of following just a dream initially of mm -hmm. just, you know, okay, I can graduate in two years. That was a dream and it came true. And so just not quitting no matter what, but it, it, you know, if, and going with it, like something will come from something. And so, yeah, I think that's kind of the moral of fulfilling you know, um, just do it going after your dreams and you'll fulfill your life's yearnings. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and Kate, again, uh, with, with the things that you've done so far, I just want to commend you and, and congratulate you on those because you're, uh, to me, you're someone who is, you know, definitely living, living out your truth. And, and as you said, this wasn't always a path that you saw, mm -hmm. uh, growing up, but, but now it's turned into something that that is really awesome. And, and I think that's just amazing for you to be able to spend some time with us today on on fulfilling life's yearnings. And I was just glad to to hear your enthusiasm and and not only touch on, you know, what we can do as students who want to finish school earlier, but also more into life if we're trying to be, you know, self-employed or just this just the different insights that you've been able to, you know, garner from your experiences. So I just want to thank you again for, for sharing those today with us as well. Oh, thank you so much, Blake. I really appreciate it. Awesome. So that will be the end of us today. Again, I'm Blake Sule. Today's guest was author Kate Stevens. Uh, definitely make sure you check out what she has going on. That'll all be in the show notes. And other than that, uh, go out there and be fly. And Kate, thank you again for coming on and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Fulfilling Life's Yearnings. I want to know what your biggest takeaway is, so please head on over to fulfillinglifesyearnings.com today and click on the show notes link for today's episode, which is located on the homepage, and leave a comment. The show notes page is where you can find the resources mentioned during the show and will be very valuable for you on your own journey. To stay up to date about what's happening, please subscribe to my newsletter and subscribe to the show on iTunes.
and while you're subscribing on iTunes, it would definitely mean a lot to me if you would leave a review to show future potential listeners of Fulfilling Life's Yearnings what you think as your voice helps them decide if Fulfilling Life's Yearnings is right for them. Now it's in your hands. Are you ready to fly? Until next episode, stay in the zone and make today a fly day by taking action on your dreams.